Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. But I have managed to hire two rock stars without having any formalized hiring structure, said my friend Anthony to me. To which I replied quickly back, I'd rather be lucky than good. And we both had a pretty nice laugh about that. It is great to have a few superstars in your organization, but it is outstanding to have an organization built entirely of well-positioned, highly productive people, i.e. A players. Having a system for hiring is the only way to make the leap from average to extraordinary. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win the right hires by sharing insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry disruptors. Like our guest today, Mr. Robert Glazer. He is the founder and CEO of Acceleration Partners, which is a global partner marketing agency. He's also the co-founder and chairman of Brand Cycle. Robert is a serial entrepreneur. He has a passion for helping individuals and organizations build their capacity to elevate. He was twice named to Glassdoor's list of top small and medium companies CEOs, ranked number two, and was selected as a top 22 conscious business leader of 2019 by Conscious Company. So he speaks to companies and organizations around the world on topics related to business growth, culture, capacity building, and performance, which is what makes Robert the perfect expert for today's topic. Robert, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Thanks, Rick. And I love that example. It's like gamblers. You always hear them talk about their wins and never their losses. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm $900,000 in the hole, but I just won 100 grand last night. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I find people actually tend to bring up the exceptions to the rules as like examples rather than the rule, which is paradoxical. So I didn't mention this, but he's got 30 people in this company. Two of them are rock stars. Not good odds. (laughs) When your whole business is relying on two people and they're carrying everybody else, that's a heavy burden to bear. So today we're going to discuss why systems, especially in hiring when, and then we're going to talk about Robert's process for hiring. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a great plan. We're bringing up systems. And one of the things that I hear all the time from leaders that I talk to is I'm just way too busy and I don't have the time to sit down and map out or write out a process. And then the follow up to that is besides there's really no right answer to hiring anyway. It's just like you get a good feel for somebody. Yeah. Where are we off on that? Everywhere. First of all, feel <laughs> is loaded with so much bias. There's so much unintentional bias in hiring. We do not do any sort of personality tests as part of hiring, but we do them afterwards as part of team building and otherwise. You will hire people that score the same on all of these tests without even knowing it or taking the test. There's some, oh, this person reminds me of me or looks like me. or they. It's very interesting. Or there's commonalities. He went to yeah. school that I went to. You're an to. extrovert. They're an extrovert. Another thing we talked about, a lot of entrepreneurs think they're clever or smarter and they have their great, perfect question. And of course, none of this is backed up by any data or science. And as we just talked about the gamblers, they tell you, I've been asking people what kind of animal they are. And Rick answered a gazelle. <laughs> I hired him and Rick's a superstar. That is not- I got to hire is, more that gazelles. That's not causation. That is maybe correlation. That only works if you can prove the negative, which was, did you not hire someone who went on to be a superstar somewhere else because they said cheetah? The whole thing.
thing is crazy. Look, I used to be wrapped up in voodoo questions. I had this whole thing that I was pissed that my employees wouldn't let me do. I still believe in this, but not as a silver bullet. I'll tell you the story because I read about it in Fortune magazine that someone else was doing it. And then I was so pissed that someone else wrote the article. I think that how you treat people is a very important indicator. That's why we go to meals or otherwise. So I wanted to have someone be brought the wrong meal as yep. part of I've a, done that. an interview. I've done that quite a few times. And there's three responses to that. They're quiet and they eat it. <laughs> you know, in which case they might be a little like overly compliant. They're kind of rude and they send it back or they do something in the middle. It's like, I'm really sorry, but this isn't what I ordered. Now, that may be very indicative of how someone might treat another human being. It might have zero correlation to whether they'll be good at their job at CFO of my organization. It will tell whether or not somebody fits culturally into your environment if that's something that's really important to the company. It might be a good way to explain exclude someone. But just because they're a nice person, again, does not mean or a good person that they have the chops for whatever the role that we're in. They have the qualities for whatever role that we're hiring them for. So yeah, my team wouldn't let me do that. And then I saw literally there's like an article in Fortune about a CEO that did this. And I was like, all mad at them. <laughs> there are things that you should watch. We do try to put in a meal or a real world situation. I remember we interviewed someone pretty good in the interview that had dinner with her. She was on her cell phone like the entire time texting and stuff. And we were like, no. <laughs> my yeah. old mentor, used to take a step further. So he would actually talk the person into driving who we went to lunch with. He would have the person drive over there and then what would end up happening is they look at their car and this is the way their desk is going to look. Oh, I thought you were going to say about the driving. One of my mentors with a senior exec team, he gets in the car with them driving, wants to see same thing. Appropriately aggressive, blows through red lights or overly timid. Very similar sort of thing. So these all can be part of a process or a system. But I think mistaking any one thing or any one question for a silver bullet is a huge mistake. Totally. It's a series of questions that you need to be able to extract the evidence to support whether or not somebody's a cultural fit, first and foremost. So why are business leaders reluctant to follow a hiring system, in your opinion? Because they got to do the work up front. As you said, I think they think they're smarter. They point to their, as we talked about the casino, they point to their wins, but not their losses. And let's be honest, they like being about them. I see a lot of CEOs and leaders, Brad, everyone in the company has to interview me and go through me. I actually pretty early developed the other opposite philosophy. One of our core values is own it. And I just saw people saying, Rick turns out to be a disaster. And they're like, well, you interviewed Rick as a last stage. And I'm like, yeah, I interviewed Rick to see if he's a fit for the company, nice guy, but it's not my job to determine if I want him on my team or he can do the job. So I actually realized that at some point for executive, non-executive hires, that that was passing the buck along from having the team dig in and do the work. And so I became much more obsessed about the process. Where are there holes in the matrix and how do we improve the matrix? Then I'm probably the 50th best interviewer in our company because I don't do it that often. People at our account manager level are doing it 10 times as often. We hire an exec team member every 18 months and I got to go dust off the books and the questions and look at all the stuff all over again. So why has this been important to your company? We've grown about 30% over a decade. And so we're just really focused on things that scale. How does it scale? We need great players. And how do we do things at scale and things that are sustainable and repeatable? And this just became one of the clear areas where I think we're going to have a process. Plus, those misses are so painful. You probably discount the introverted person and you fall for that charismatic person in interviewing. And those 
people tend to be the worst because they're so much drama, you know, all this stuff, but they were just great interviewers. And you fell in love with the interviewer and not doing your homework. The fact that the person who answered these questions, great, maybe they were just smart and looked at it on Glassdoor, but then you overlooked the fact someone in the process can tell you, you know, they were a little bit late for that interview. They were really difficult to schedule with. They did not get back to us quickly. These are all real world indicators of what it would be like to work with this person. Not that they nailed the question. You've got to assume that your smart candidates have gone on Glassdoor, have done their research, have a basic understanding of some of the questions, and that some of them, they just answer too well. And also, they probably listen pretty well. So when you start feeding them all the details of your company and the position and what you're looking for, they're just feeding it back to you a lot of times. What I love about this is that your hiring process is driven by leadership. You guys actually owned it and decided, hey, look, we want to make sure that we have everybody on a plan, on a process, so that essentially we don't have to be involved. And you trust your people enough to be able to, they probably are doing a better job of hiring than you do when you're involved in it. For sure. I hire people like me. (laughs) If you just (laughs) left me to my own devices, probably with my strengths and weaknesses. All right. You're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for a podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Pre-order your copy of Healing Career Wounds. You can find the link at stridesurge.com or in the show notes listed below. Our guest today is Robert Glazer. He's the founder and CEO of Acceleration Partners. And we're talking about how to develop a superstar culture by using a systematic hiring process. Walk me through this phase of, okay, look, at we're not that great at hiring. How do I go back to the drawing board and what do I need to do to be able to lay out a process that works. So we collected a couple processes from companies that we really admired and respected and one that had built theirs over 10 years and they were generous in sharing with that. Also learned about Jeff Smart's work and top grading and scorecarding and really coming to understand in Jeff's whole thing is process driven too. Just this notion of a scorecard. What is a scorecard exactly? So a scorecard is outlining what it is that you want out of the job. I almost look at it like, let's think about it as the six month performance review. So it's a performance metrics. The outcome and the quality. This role, the goal is A, B, and C. So the goal is selling 5 million a year, manage a team of five, strict attention to detail, kind of like the shopping list and getting everyone agreeing on that beforehand, because this is where a lot of things go wrong. I've gotten a few calls in the last couple of years where we run a marketing agency and people are like, hey, I'm just going to ask you a question. We're about to hire a sales and marketing person. And and I like stop them right there. I'm like, explain a sales and marketing person. This is exactly where an interview goes awry. Because let's say they hire a great salesperson, but the marketing team thought they were getting a marketing leader. They haven't sort of had this out on the table before they started the job search to say, oh, no, 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 wait, I want this person to market and support channels. And the other's like, no, I want them to have a quota. These are the fights they have after they've hired the person. And this is where they're not going to get set up success. So the scorecard gets all this stuff up front. What does the ideal player look like? What are they going to be positioned for? Ideally, you also put those metrics in the job description. Like, here's your first performance review, what we're going to look at in six months. And we say by six months or one year, this is what success looks like. Sometimes people default too much to experience, like with sales. They do quite often. I want four years of this and five years of that. And that's wrong. 
I'd rather default accountability. You will have closed a book of business of $3 million in six months. If there's an up and coming person with two years of experience that like is like, I'm signing up for that, at least we're really, really clear on what the outcome is. Exactly. You can also read Healing Career Wounds when it comes out on May 20th. All right. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> a lot of career wounds. Yeah. You pulled together from various sources. And then what'd you do after that? We broke it up into core values. We do values first, since that's easier to knock someone out. And then competency second. So we have behavioral-based core value questions. I thought that was great for years. I thought it was really smart. And then one of our coaches was like, do your people know what a good answer is or not good answer? So then we actually went back in and said, this is what a one sounds like. This is what a 10 sounds like to answer this question. So we actually helped them even turn that into a numerical score in terms of what we're listening, which I think is really important when you start putting numbers against that scorecard as you get to the committee meeting. We hire about 80% the same type of role, like in a core account manager. It could be higher or lower level. And then exec team or marketing or finance is the other 20%. So in each one of those, we have some thing that they have to do, a discussion, a presentation, or otherwise that really mimics the actual work. We're not looking for free advice or otherwise. We make it actually clear that it's like, not useful to us because it's fake, but it actually looks exactly like what they have to do and how they have to do it. If there's time pressure on it, it would look like the time pressure you have for a client if it's writing or otherwise. And so that gives us a really good sense of the aptitude. And then the interviews happen. Everyone has their questions they're supposed to do. It all goes numerically into the ATS. We look at the scores. You have to say, I enthusiastically recommend this person to send them on. You have to rate them on all these things. And then so when you're getting to the decision, you have all this data. And when you get to that point, there's also a disinterested person in that discussion, someone who's there side of in the company hat saying like, look, you guys are all psyched about Rick, but y'all rated him a four on attention to detail. And I see on the scorecard, that was like the most important thing. So while he told great jokes and you liked him, I think you're all looking away at one of the core criteria that you said. Are you having him document the answers? So it's not really necessarily they scored, get a link, but it's... After the interview, they get a link from the ATS while it's fresh, where they have to put all the numerical or qualitative answers to everything that they were asked to ask. But what about the data that was extracted from that person rather than and taking notes on exactly what they said and how they got into the details of it to support that. Yeah, that would go into the ATS. It would say rating and then comments under that. And then you have to say strong thumbs up, down. And when we get to the final round, a lot of candidates get hired because someone doesn't strenuously object enough. Everyone has to be like fully on board, two thumbs up. I would personally sponsor them and take responsibility. I can't say, yeah, if Rick wants to hire them, that's on him. Yeah, it should be a hell yes or a no. Exactly. The Derek Sivers hell yes test. One of the things they ask is, is this person better than 90% of the people we see and will they raise the average? That sort of sets a threshold. That's the process in a whole. And look, we've found holes in the matrix and we've tried to plug them over the years. One of the holes is the ability for people to pull the emergency cord earlier in the process and get uncomfortable and say, look, Rick seems to have some turnover issues, but I liked him otherwise. No, no, no. Let's dig into that. Spend 30 minutes and start figuring out why Rick left his last couple of jobs at 18 months, three times in a row. Let's not pass the buck on that. Because we actually looked at the data and we found we were making a lot of the right decisions, but we were declining way too. Our funnel went like this and then went like this at the end. It should sort of come down like this, but we had this bump and then it went back down. What was the bump? The bump was not pulling the ripcord. The hiring committee was making all the right decisions, but half of those candidates should have been declined for red flag 
flags earlier in the process. It was just overburdening the hiring committee because they had the debate about that quality. They had the debate about that attention to detail thing at the committee level and decided they weren't comfortable with it rather than someone digging in for a half an hour and really like going after it earlier in the process. Okay. Got it. You're talking about developing the playbook. What needs to happen when you're developing this playbook? You need to also coordinate the interviews. You want to be doing different things. So what the screening one is doing is different than people doing the culture one versus the aptitude one. There's no point in people going in asking the same questions. No, Yeah. That's the quickest way to lose good people too. (laughs) Right. You should be asking the same questions in different ways to look for consistency. So those interviews need to be coordinated which is why they're set up in the ATS and it's very clear what everyone's role is. And then they're going to come together and assemble that information at the end. That's how you build the process. And then you have to be trained on it. You have to go through the interview training and then you got to follow the process and you got to be interview certified. We've developed a playbook. We have our rules in place. This is how we interview. This is how we do things. Now, walk me through how you train people. We have video training, real-time training, ongoing training, case studies, examples of how to do that. We will record a lot of stuff and we will put it into our learning management system. You guys do role-playing? Yeah, role-playing. We've had coaches come in. We've had different outside trainers. When we first found that bubble problem, we had someone come in and it was like, we had a whole two hours of getting uncomfortable and it was really uncomfortable. And he practiced asking a difficult question and don't say anything. The interviewers want to let the person off the hook. It was actually uncomfortable, but it was good training and people needed to do it. And they're like, look, no one should come out of that interview feeling like you were rude or difficult on them or whatever. But if you're digging into something, you do not need to save people or rush in to fill the space. You want to get to the answers on some of these things. Yeah. You silence is your friend in this process. People really struggle with that. So you almost need that in your interview thing. Like ask the question, wait 10 seconds. Jeff Smart has these great anecdotes on just the key things. And and then what happened? Tell me more. This is how he learned about a guy lost his job by punching the CEO in the face after a board meeting, which started with, we left on a disagreement. We had a disagreement on strategy. And then Jeff said, and then what happened? And four questions later, he got to what became known as the $3 million slap because the guy lost all of his stock options because he was fired for cause. This is a good exercise in digging deeper. Then what happened? Oh, tell me more. Those are great follow-up questions. And all you're doing is digging under the hood and making sure that you're gaining understanding of exactly what happened, how it happened, why it happened, gets to the why. And I found that getting to the why is kind of tricky because you don't want to ask why. When you ask why, you put people on the defense. You ask hypothetical questions, you get hypothetical answers. People love their question of, Rick, where do you see yourself in five years? You just paint this beautiful picture of your achievement. You've been telling people that for 10 years. That's the problem with that question. Your answer sounds great, but you've been using that same answer for 10 years and you haven't done any of that stuff. Well, I hate situational questions for that same reason. If you had this situation, what would you do? Anybody who's intuitive is going to feed you exactly what you want to hear. Correct. Give me an example of a time you had to deal with that is far more revealing. Yeah, I like forced negative questions like who's someone you didn't get along with the last company? What's their name? And then you can watch what would they say? This is Cameron Hunter. What would they say if I called them? This gets to real truth serum. We've also have a question that we found is pretty interesting. What are three reasons why I shouldn't hire you? You can tell people that are honest and vulnerable in those cases versus they're just giving you some some PR, I'm too creative, I work too hard. If someone (laughs) answered that question, I tend to come in hard charging and sometimes that can be, I mean, that person at least is self-aware that they have that quality. And that's important for a lot of companies. 
especially if you're trying to decipher whether or not you have somebody who's going to really excel, who's bought in, or somebody who's just going to be there for the paycheck. Yeah, I am not good at that silence thing. Like I have to step on my foot and just let the air sign. Don't, because again, if you talk first, you will start answering the question for them or providing an easier and an out to that question that they're struggling to answer. That is so true. I'm really good at that. I'll ask a question and just sit there for 10 minutes if I have to. I was trained early on, whoever speaks first loses. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's a good point. But that's stuff that really needs to be trained. You're talking about the recruiters who do interviews all day is different from then you need the line people later on who don't interview that often. They need to be reminded and refreshed on this stuff. And it's especially important when you get to the managers. The managers have to understand, again, how to extract that data to make sure that they're getting the right person. Yeah. And you got to be prepared. Look, they know I don't interview people that often. And so like I get a whole background package. I'll spend an hour going through it before the interview. Look at the red flags. Otherwise, look, that's different than what a recruiter does who's just doing high volume early round. So you got to do your work before you go in. Now, are you assigning each individual interviewer their questions? It's broken up. If someone's doing the behavioral piece, then they'd be asked from that. They do different things in different areas. But yes, they will be assigned their questions or given a choice of questions that they can pull from. They could choose from one of the three behavioral-based questions around one of our core values or something like that. I found that it's super effective when people are just assigned questions and they understand how to dig under the hood and get the answers they need and then extract that data there's your evidence to support whether or not you move forward or move on. As a hiring decision, it's not, well, I kind of liked him. Felt like a pretty good guy. Like We should just hire him or her. I liked him or I liked her. That's where you run into. I hate that. But also those people tend to be charismatic extroverts. That doesn't mean that they won't be good at your company, but I would say that those have been some of our biggest disaster hires too. Well, and then on the opposite side, the ones who have been no's have been, no, I just didn't get a good vibe for that person. And those tend to be more introverted people. Introverts, yeah. And they probably were the best person for the role Yeah, in a lot of cases. Yeah, and that's where you got to go to the evidence. Well, did they do this? Did they have the results? Did they whatever? Did they answer the question? And that's why you want to make sure you have a broad perspective of people doing the interviewing as well too. by the way, like you have to keep in mind that nobody likes to be interviewed. Nobody likes going to a company of people that they don't know and shedding your deepest, darkest moments of your life. It's very uncomfortable and nerve wracking for a lot of people, especially introverts. Yeah, totally. But you need those people who put their heads down and do it. And I bet if someone did an empirical study, you would find that bias in there in terms of missed some real introverted people who would have been great contributors and hired people they shouldn't have who were much more outgoing and stuck during the interview. Yeah, it's hard to do that. But God, that would be great data to have. We're getting pretty close on time, Robert. What would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience to plug into their business today? If you don't have a process, ask someone else who does someone who has a good one, like anything, collect the best practices, figure out which ones you like. If you have real core values in your organization, sit down and develop behavioral-based questions that tie to your core values. We have a core value of excel and improve. So one of those questions might be like, Rick, when the last year or two have you taken a course, read a book, something you've done to get better or whatever, if you can't come up with anything in a couple of years, probably not our level of excel and improve. So break those down into multiple questions per value that you can ask. That's a great question too, to tie into your corporate values. Shoot, Robert, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of the audience can reach you, find out more about you and your company and whatever you got going on? Yeah, our company, Acceleration Partners. You can Google it. It's easier than trying to spell it and you'll find it. My stuff, books, podcasts, courses, everything, writing is at 
at robertglazergla.com. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning into this week's episode of Higher Power. A quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. We're listening, and we welcome your feedback. After all, this show is for you. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O dot com. Or you can drop me an email at ricketstridesearch.com. Tune in next Tuesday. Our guest is going to be Brian Franco. He's the founder and managing partner of Meritage Partners. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success. Rick Gerard.